And it's very simplest form. Yes, it's, it's dear first name, but obviously technology allows us to do a lot more than that. I'm Salisa Steele. I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. With the release of ChatGPT in November 2022, artificial intelligence broke into the mainstream and became a more practical rather than theoretical topic than ever before. AI has the potential to lighten the existing load and to enable new activities for learning businesses, particularly in the realms of marketing and personalization. Erica Salmrench is the Chief Operating Officer at Rasa.io, which uses AI to send personalized newsletters to every recipient on an email list. Prior to joining Rasa.io, Erica worked in digital media and advertising at an agency, leading a team of content marketers, SEO specialists, web developers, and online advertisers. She also worked at Tulane University in the undergraduate admission world. Erica is passionate about designing effective marketing strategies, and she's an avid student of AI. In this episode, number 393, Salisa talks with Erica about the state of artificial intelligence, what's on the horizon for AI, email marketing, personalization, the importance of data, and the interaction and interplay of humans and AI to get work done well. Salisa and Erica spoke in December 2023. Maybe just tell listeners who might not be familiar with Rasa.io a little bit more about what you all do there. Absolutely. So what Rasa does is we use AI to send personalized newsletters to each and every recipient on an email list. We work a lot with professional and trade associations and publishers and marketing agencies, like I said. But so oftentimes the organizations that we work with say, we're sending too many emails. We're not sending the right emails. We're not sending the right content that people want to receive. And so, so that's what our AI does is we pick up on users' behaviors, their interactions with content in order to further refine the content that we send them through an email so that you're really hyper-targeting your audience members and really treating them like a segment of one. And we also help you shave many hours off the send process Newsletter production can be tedious and we are, we're not ignorant to that. And so we help people automate some of those more tedious pieces of the newsletter production process. And then another piece of it would be that many of our clients do have partnerships and sponsorship and use their newsletter as a revenue stream. So we help them amplify those revenue streams as well. Well, so you mentioned that Rasa makes use of artificial intelligence for part of what you're doing there on the Mm -hmm. newsletter front. And so I know you've been working in artificial intelligence for a long time and certainly well before the recent explosion of attention that um, I think probably we can say started with the release of ChatGPT about a year ago in November 2022. Just had the year anniversary of ChatGPT's release, if you can believe it. It's been a year already. (laughs) And so just given the fact that you've been thinking about AI for maybe longer than than some of our listeners, I'm just curious to kind of get your take on, you know, what are people who maybe haven't thought about it until pretty recently, the last few months, what are they maybe getting wrong about artificial intelligence? Or is there anything that surprises you about kind of the lay person's view of AI at this point? 
Yeah, I mean, it's hard to kind of put myself in the position of not knowing much about it at all. Because to your point, I've been trying to follow this stuff for several years. And there was, there were pretty massive developments in computing technology over the past decade that have really like built up to this point. Um, and ChatGPT's release, obviously, to your point, was a major explosion. And I think everyone sort of experimented with ChatGPT and in many ways have kind of dabbled in using it for content generation. But what I would say most people are kind of leaving on the table is like the ideation piece of how ChatGPT can help them, maybe strategically, like starting from scratch on a project, you know, the big intimidating project that you might be procrastinating on using a tool like ChatGPT or Google's Bard or Anthropic's Claude to kind of get you started and help eliminate that writer's block piece. So that's one way that I feel like people see ChatGPT almost like as a content creator, which it, it does pretty well, but it's just, it's good as like an assistant to help you execute on various tasks. And also a, a way that I just talked to a colleague about so recently is number crunching and, and data analytics. She was saying, oh, I just hate pivot tables and I have to pivot out all this information. I said, why don't you just plop your spreadsheet in ChatGPT and have it analyze that information for you? That's like one way that I, I don't think people think of ChatGPT as, as the first thing that they think about when they you think about that tool. I do like that idea of helping get past the, yeah, the writer's block, as you said, that sort of the blank page, the blank screen, just being able to turn to chat GPT and sort of ask an open-ended question, see what comes back might lead you down an interesting path that then you uh, decide to explore more. So sort of, we're talking about sort of current state of, of AI. I, I'm also interested given, again, your long experience with AI sort of What's your view of what's on the horizon? You know, what is sort of coming next? If we sort of look at like the release of chat GPT is like a big event in the recent history of AI, what's on the horizon? What do you think is going to change next? What do you think we're going to see that will really impact how we're living and working? Yeah, well, for those of you who, you know, might or might not follow the the saga of what's been going on at OpenAI and with Sam Altman, I mean, there's a lot of speculation that the reason he was let go from OpenAI is because of potential massive developments in what one would call general intelligence. So, you know, machines that are not just, you know, smart machines, but even smarter than humans on any particular subject and can begin to take actions. So like AI agents, which that's probably going to be the next, the next thing that we'll see is agents being able to actually submit forms and buy things for you and take those actions and not just spit back out content, whether that be audio, video, imagery, written content, which is what I think a lot of people are starting to dabble in right now and start to use AI for, but bringing things to the next level and actually executing for you is probably going to be what comes next. How soon it will be widespread, I think is a question still outstanding, but it's coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's when it gets very, um, I guess, what everybody always has pictured about the future of AI, right? The sort of the sentient being, um, if maybe not in that shape, but able to do many more of those things that, that humans have done. Yes, exactly. And so I'm thinking about the learning businesses that listen to the Leading Learning Podcast, and I'm thinking about for them and in their marketing, what are some easy or obvious 
first steps if they're looking at how can they make use of AI to help support them in marketing their offerings? What would you recommend? Well, I think it just even in asking that question, you're spot on. Obviously, you know, the folks that you work with, the creation of the content is, is needs to be still human, right? Like they're learning content, like they are the certifying body or they are the teaching body. So it is probably very important that they're that like first party source for the creation of the actual learning modules. But you said, how can they market it? And I think that's where AI becomes really powerful because if you're writing promotional content about the learning module, like that's a place where you can use some generative copy or have an image generated for you that goes along with the blog post or a social media post that that is meant to promote that particular learning module or, you know, using AI to summarize the content that's in the module in order to, you know, create the various promotional pieces of content. And then there are so many great tools out there that allow for like the automation of, you know, like your social media posts going out, kind of recycling out the promotion of any learning module or course or certification program. So instead of posting something once and just saying, okay, well, I already did a social media post about that. There are tools out there that help you like recycle back out those social posts and intelligently post them at the right times and promote them to the right audience. Well, so you just mentioned social there, but you also, we've been talking about email as well. And I do feel like email tends to be the backbone of most of the promotion that the learning businesses, at least that we interact with, rely on for promoting their products and services. But I also feel like we're hearing more about the difficulty or increasing difficulty of really getting the attention of their email recipients. So first, I'll just sort of pause that to ask, is that sort of a general trend that you're also hearing in in terms of like, is it actually getting harder to get people's attention? Well, email is sort of the dinosaur that hasn't gone away, or at least yet. That's the world that we operate in. And email is definitely going to, I hadn't mentioned it in my first response, but it should still be a core piece of your marketing plan for anything that you're going to promote because it is a channel that is far more reliable than social media or paid online ads. You have a much better chance of getting someone's eyes with an email than you do on a social platform or in a search engine results page. And obviously that's the space that that I operate in. In addition to just, you know, a one size fits all email, having a better chance of getting someone's eyes. We we help people get their subscribers' attention with email because we personalize the content. So there is the opportunity to use a tool, some sort of tool like Rasa to really hyper segment or hyper target people with the right learning content or promote your learning content in an advertising sort of space within an email that's surrounded by personalized content relevant to the individual. But to your point, email should not be ignored. It's still still a very effective channel compared to the others out there. At Tagoras, we're experts in the global business of lifelong learning, and we use our expertise to help clients better understand their markets, connect with new customers, make the right investment decisions, and grow their learning businesses. We achieve these goals through expert market assessment, strategy formulation, and platform selection services. 
If you're looking for a partner to help your learning business achieve greater reach, revenue, and impact, learn more at tagoras.com slash services. Talk a little bit more about any strategies or tactics or approaches that really seem to work to help to make that email stand out. Because I know my inbox is incredibly crowded. <laughs> and so like- Yeah, yeah. No, every everyone has to- it's it's still a competition to get someone's attention with an email. Obviously, personalization of, of newsletter content is one way you can do it. And as simple as it sounds, targeting people based on where you collect their email on your website can also be really effective. So if you have, and this is like a very simple method that's been around for some time, but if you have a form where you collect people's information, if they're interested in learning more from you, just tagging people and putting them into a segment based on where you collect their information on the website, like what landing page they came in through, where they ultimately gave. So putting the form throughout the website so that you can really capture where they came in, like what converted that person so that you can give them more of what they're interested in. Hmm. And so then kind of behind that answer is just data is needed, right? In order to mm -hmm. make the personalization work and to make the email stand out and be as relevant as possible to right. that particular recipient. Data um, and automation or else you'll thin your wheels. Drive yourself crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, and, you know, we, we've been talking about personalization and I know that is a big area of focus for Rasa and it does seem to hold a lot of promise for marketing, because if you can contextualize and, and really focus that message for that individual, it's going to be more effective. We also talk a lot about personalization in the learning world. The more you can do to tailor that content specifically to that individual and where they are in terms of their knowledge and skills, it's going to be that much more effective. But I also feel like personalization can be a bit of a a vague or at least a broad term, you know, that sometimes people might, you know, talk about personalization just being this sort of like the email says, hi, Salisa, instead of hi, Erica. Okay, just like tokens, just like right. first name token. <laughs> right. Right. But I feel like you're talking about a much deeper kind of personalization where you're really looking at, you know, what is the right content? And you were talking about even down to sort of the segment of one idea there. So how do you think about the range or different types of personalization? And then are there types of personalization that are more effective than others? Sure. And it's very simplest form. Yes, it's it's dear first name, but obviously technology allows us to do a lot more than that. Another type of personalization would be like what we do at Rasa, personalizing the content that's served up within the email. I also think about personalization from like timing of emails. So we have a pretty sophisticated way that we nurture folks in, in our database. So if someone comes in seeking more information, but they might not have actually, you know, wanted to get the demo yet or sign up for the self-serve product, we have a way that we first start nurturing them at a faster cadence. And then if there isn't as much interaction, it's maybe a little bit more spread out. After a certain amount of time, they might get added to our newsletter list. So it's a bunch of rules to ensure that Someone who has been interested, even who might not have taken an action, is still nurtured to an extent so that when they are ready to make a switch and come over to us for an AI newsletter, we're still top of mind. And that's ultimately, you know, what we're trying to do with the newsletter, too, is you're providing really relevant and informative educational content so that when 
it does come time to, you know, volunteer at the conference or sign up for the conference that your organization is, is top of mind because you've been providing such relevant, valuable content throughout. And so part of what we talked about the need for data, you know, we we're talking about sort of understanding where people come into the website and be able to maybe segment them based on that landing page, that need for data around how someone interacts with you or comes to interact with you is one part of it. The other part of it is that if you're personalizing this content, then it you sort of have to have enough content or enough volume of content or a breadth of content that it works to personalize. So I guess, can you talk a little bit about kind of how organizations that you work with, do they sort of typically come in already having that sort of range of content and what they're really looking for is the help with sort of automating it and, and making that easier? Or do they sort of come in, have this aha moment of, oh, this is the breadth of content. We need to go kind of go out and build it. That is a fabulous question. So we have clients all over the spectrum. So on one end of the spectrum, you have your ASAEs and you have your American Bankers Association, and they are content powerhouses. And the majority of the content in their roster newsletters is going to be content that they've created in-house, and they might supplement a bit with some external relevant sources. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, we also have plenty of clients who don't create any content, or maybe they create like one blog post a month. And so they're going to lean a lot more heavily on the external relevant industry sources to kind of supplement the their own internal content if they create any at all. And so what we'll work with them to do is figure out what are the authoritative sources in the space. We'll automatically pull those in into their what we'd call the content pool. In some cases, we're filtering down those sources. So we'd say, well, we want this source to come in, but only if it hits on online learning is a keyword or phrase. And then like from that relevant pool of, let's say, 30, 40 pieces of content, we're going to personalize for the individual based on what we've learned about them and what we know they're interested in reading about. But many of our clients lean on those external sources so that, to your point, they're not pressured to create so much content that the AI has plenty to choose from. Mm. Another question maybe about kind of the how this works, because you were talking about rules when you were talking about sort of the cadence at which you were nurturing um, particular prospects. And then when we first were talking about AI and sort of talking about maybe the next step in AI being kind of more of, you know, these agents that can do more. So what's sort of the mix at Rasa in terms of kind of the human control or input versus sort of what's sort of driven by AI around those kinds of rules or those that sort of segmentation or any of that sort of realm of what you're doing there? Yeah, that's a great question. So we use Rasa and HubSpot together. A lot of our clients use Rasa and HubSpot together. And as far as the, as I'd say the rules are developed within HubSpot and then the AI and the recommendation algorithm, that's within Rasa. So if there is such a rule in HubSpot that someone gets added to an organization's newsletter, then, then that will sync with the Rasa platform. And then as soon as Rasa picks up on the fact that Eric is interested in AI or marketing or branding or what have you, then Ross is going to learn that in order to recommend me the relevant content. But what Rasa can also do, and this is you know a, a piece of why a lot of our, our clients work with us, is that we can also push those topical interests back into your CRM like a HubSpot mm. so that you can develop more rules off of people's interests on the CRM or a message. Cool. Yeah. That, the integration of the tech stack there sounds very powerful. 
Yeah. And, and we try to make integration not a scary word. We've pre-built a lot of our integrations, at least a lot of our like subscriber-based integrations. So that doesn't have to be a deterrent for getting started. Mm-hmm. So I'll shift gears just a little bit. One of the questions we always like to ask guests who come on the Leading Learning Podcast, given that this is the Leading Learning Podcast, is about their own professional and potentially personal uh, development. And so I would just be curious to know kind of how you go about continuing to grow. Do you have habits or sources or approaches that you use to make sure that you're staying on top of things? I love that question. I'd love to talk about that. So I am a big podcast listener, which is why I love to go on podcasts because I love to listen to podcasts. So I'm also though a mother of three. So I don't necessarily have a lot of time to like sit down and curl up with a book. So whenever I'm in the car, I'm always listening to podcasts to make sure that I'm staying on top of the various topics that I'm interested in. So that's one way that I kill two birds with one stone, so to speak, is make sure that I'm always, and also when I'm running or exercising, I'm always listening to podcasts and not music. Although I wish I could listen to more music, but I feel like that's kind of a trade-off that I've had to make is in the car or when I'm on my feet, I'm listening to podcasts. So that's one big thing or books on tape. Hmm. Tape. Why did I say tape? (laughs) (laughs) Audiobooks. So I, I love the Amazon tool, the Amazon books the audiobooks. I feel like you can subscribe, you get a credit per month. I forget what it's called off the top of my head. And then what else do I do? I'm a big morning brew fan. That's a good newsletter. I feel like it gives me a a good synopsis of the things that I'm, the current events that I might be interested in. I try not to listen to a ton of just like general news channels. I feel like I I try to really hyper-focus my time on AI and, and marketing technology and email. Email is, of course, one that we I like to stay on top of. Yeah. So I think it, it's making sure that you have your trusted sources identified and then and making sure that you have the time to devote to those, to consuming those sources. <laughs> Easier said than done. Erica Salmrench is COO at rasa.io. In the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 393, you'll find links to the RASA website where you can learn about the solutions the company offers and Erica's work. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 393, you'll also find options for subscribing to the podcast. We'd be grateful if you would subscribe if you haven't yet, as subscriptions give us some insight into the impact of the podcast. We'd also be grateful if you would rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, especially if you find the Leading Learning Podcast valuable. Those ratings and reviews help us show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. Lastly, please help us grow the Leading Learning community. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 393, there are links to find us on X, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.